Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 5 this morning, and we're going to work through the whole of chapter 5 together. So Joshua chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. Hear the word of our God. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gabith Harloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who had come out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Circumcising of the whole nation was finished. They remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. When the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us? Or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are your people. You have gathered us this morning. You have brought us together by your great grace. You have redeemed us from sin. And we pray this morning, in light of all that you've done, we pray that you would speak your word into our hearts, that you would mold us and shape us, that you would place godly desires deep into our hearts, that we might walk with you that we might have fellowship with you. Lord Jesus, we need your word, so speak to us, we pray. We pray this always in your name. 
Amen. So I've been thinking about Joshua chapter 5 all week, and after thinking about Joshua chapter 5 all week, there's just one question on my heart. And the question is this, are you in fellowship with God? Are you in fellowship with God? And I want this question to settle in on you, to sit on you, because our minds run with so many cares and concerns. Even this morning, cares and concerns press on us. Tomorrow is Monday. There's a full week of care and concern coming. There's always this to-do list. It's a, a mile long. There's so much to get done. Even more this week, today, even in this moment, you're thinking about last week maybe. Last week might be pressing on you. There's so many things pressing, matters left undone, projects lingering, situations left unresolved. And so there's so much that can distract us. And as a result, it can be hard to think straight or to think clearly. But I want you this morning, as we enter into Joshua chapter 5, to slow down and think about this one question. Are you in fellowship with God? Are you in fellowship with God? Now, you might respond to that question saying something like this. Well, what do you mean by this word fellowship with God? And there are several different ways we can talk about this word of fellowship. We can use spatial words to get at it. We can ask, are you far from God or are you near to God? Is God distant from you or is he close to you? Is there something between you and the Lord, something separating you from God? We can use words of temperature, words like cool and cold, lukewarm, warm and hot. We can ask, is your heart cold and lifeless, or is it warmed, is it warming, is it hot? We can use highly relational words as well. Are you on friendly terms with God, and is God on friendly terms with you? Or to use better words, do you love the Lord your God? Does God love you? We can use words of commitment. Are you bound to the Lord? And in being bound to the Lord, do you keep his commandments? Or to flip it around, is God bound to you through covenant? We can use words of activity. Do you walk with God? Do you live near God? We can use tactile words. Is your heart hard towards God and the things of God? Is there a stubbornness in your soul that you resist the Lord and his word and what he wants to, to do in your life? Or is your heart soft? Is there this pliability in your heart towards the Lord where you easily yield yourself to the Lord and what he wants? And as we think about it, the Bible uses all of these expressions and more to speak about our fellowship with God. And as we look at our Bibles, we learn it is possible to be far from God, separated from Christ, lost and without hope in this world. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. It is possible to be at odds with God, to be warring against the Lord and all of his purposes. It is possible to be living in the far country like that prodigal son with a stubborn and rebellious heart. But as we read our Bibles, we also learn it is possible to be near God. And this is what the gospel has objectively accomplished for us in Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
And it is possible then, in light of the objective work of Jesus for us, to subjectively experience the nearness of God. As a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, you can actually walk in his pleasure. The light of his face can actually light your way and guide your steps. The sweet joy of his nearness can be the consolation of your heart. James chapter 4 verse 8 speaks of this subjective nearness, this felt nearness of the Lord. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so I ask you this morning, do you have fellowship with God? Well, as we look in Joshua chapter 5, we see that this matter is the matter of chapter 5. And Joshua chapter 5 teaches us about the importance of fellowship with God by bursting our expectations. Just think with me. Let's enter back into the story of Joshua here. What should our expectations be at this point in the story of Joshua? Well, I think they should be this, that Israel would immediately enter in and take the land as their inheritance, that they would grab it up for themselves. As we think about it, we've been primed for this expectation for four long chapters. Just rehearse with me for a moment. In chapter one, we heard the Lord speaking to Joshua, giving Joshua these instructions. Chapter one, verse two. The Lord says, now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I'm giving to them. Then we go to chapter two and we, we listen to Rahab. She's speaking with the two spies and, and she says this in chapter two, verse nine. I know that the Lord has given you the land and the fear of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. And then we move into chapter three and into chapter four and we watch the Lord at work. What does he do? He stops up. Jordan, he dries out the land, Israel passes through, and then Joshua speaks to the people, he encourages the people in light of this, and he says, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, here is how you shall know the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from you, from before you, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, look, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan." We keep hearing this, God's going to give you the land, he's going to give you the land, and we come into chapter 5, we look at the first verse, and the same note is played again. The narrator tells us, as soon as the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. To put it succinctly, it's go time for Israel. They have the promise. They have a leader. They have crossed through the Jordan. They are in the land. They have an army in the land. The inhabitants of the land are all shaking in their boots. It's time to press the advantage. It's time to take conquest of the land. Your enemy is pedaling and backpedaling. He's off balance. What do you do? You throw the haymaker and you knock him out. Or at the very least, you assemble your troops and move them into battle positions. It's time to go. But look at Joshua chapter 5. They've entered the land. We've been hearing this note. God is going to give you the land. He's going to give you the land. He's going to give you the land. And none of this happens. 
what happens in chapter 5? Well, Joshua circumcises the people of Israel, the, the men of the army. And what does Joshua do? He handicaps the whole of his army with a surgery on their genitals. Think about it. Generals and commanders usually don't weaken their men on the eve of battle. Even worse, think about it. Joshua makes his whole army defenseless in enemy territory. One just has to remember the story of Genesis chapter 34 to know just how weak and defenseless circumcision can make adult men. You remember that story? Simeon and Levi take out a whole city of men as they're recovering from circumcision. And then after this surgery, after this circumcision, Israel holds a feast to the Lord, and that is strange too. You usually feast after you win the battle. You usually don't feast before you go in to battle. And then after this feast, Joshua has this unexpected meeting with the commander of the Lord's army. And at the end of that meeting, we, we see Joshua bent low in worship, his face in the dust. Joshua chapter 5 bursts our expectations. And by bursting our expectations, this chapter reveals the priority of the Lord to us. This chapter is telling us the way it is organized and arranged, it is telling us this, there is something more important than the conquest. There is something more important than pressing the advantage against the Canaanites. There is something more urgent than the work of warfare. And the thing that is more important than all of this is fellowship with God. And so in Joshua chapter 5, in these, these scenes before us, we see fellowship with God reestablished and carefully maintained. And so we see three scenes in chapter 5. There is the circumcision scene, and then after the circumcision, the people of Israel celebrate the Passover. And after the Passover, Joshua has this meeting one-on-one -on -one with the commander of the Lord's Army. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through these three scenes, and as we walk through them, we're going to keep our eyes focused on this matter of fellowship. How do these three scenes teach us about fellowship with the Lord? And after we walk through these three scenes, we're going to draw some application out for ourselves. So let's start our work in the text by looking at the first scene. And so this first scene, the circumcision of Israel, moves forward in a rather straightforward way. So in verse 2, the Lord speaks to Joshua and gives Joshua a command. He says, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. And so Joshua hears the Lord and he obeys the Lord. Verse 3, so Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gabith Haaloth. And that should just be translated the, the hill of foreskins. And so here we're listening to verse 2, we're listening to verse 3, and our brows furrow, or at least they should furrow here. As good readers, we should ask why. And we should ask why for two reasons. First, we should ask, why does Joshua circumcise Israel on the eve of battle? That seems rather unwise. You're going to go fight and you're going to handicap your men with this surgery? And the answer that we get in the text is this. These men must be circumcised. Why? Because they weren't circumcised. Okay. And so then we ask a follow-up question. We raise a second question. We ask, why weren't they circumcised? And specifying that question, why weren't they circumcised by their fathers? 
Now, this whole thing of circumcision might be a bit hazy to you, so we need to remind ourselves of what circumcision is all about. And so if you know your Bible, you know that circumcision was a gift given to Abraham from God. It was this physical sign that pointed out the Lord's covenant to Abraham, and circumcision preached this very simple message. It's the Lord saying to Abraham this, you are mine, you belong to me. And so every male born to Abraham was to be circumcised on the eighth day. We see this all in Genesis chapter 17. And as we keep reading our Bibles, we realize that circumcision is not just to be a physical reality, just a a mark on the body. It was also to be this inward reality as well. It was supposed to be this mark on the heart. And so for this reason, as Moses thinks about the circumcision that, that the men of Israel have gone through, he, he preaches this in, in Deuteronomy eleven sixteen, He says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. We ask, well, what does that mean to, to circumcise your heart? We understand what it means to, to circumcise a male. But what does it look like to circumcise your heart? Well, Moses, in Deuteronomy 11, answers. He says in in verse 12 and verse 13, he says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And so circumcision preaches this message. It says, you're mine. And when that reaches, that message reaches the heart, what are you supposed to do? A circumcised heart says, I love you, Lord, and I'm going to serve you with the whole of my being. And here, as we put together these different pieces from our Bibles, as we look into Joshua chapter 5, we see something that is flabbergasting. Do you see it? This is stunning. Before us, standing in the pages of Joshua chapter 5, is an entire generation that was uncircumcised. An entire generation missing the mark of the covenant. And so we ask as readers, why didn't their father circumcise them? What happened here? What went wrong here? So just listen to the text. Joshua 5, verses 5 and 6. I think we get an answer here. The text reads, Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, Yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And so in explaining this situation, the narrator feels compelled to give us these explanations. The narrator camps out on this one reason the disobedience of the wilderness generation. What happened to the wilderness generation? Well, they came to the edge of the land of promise and they refused to enter into the land. They got this bad report from the the spies and then they feared and they turned back from following the Lord. And it seems as a consequence, a downstream consequence of that initial sin, they refused to circumcise their sons. The generation that despised fellowship with God in the land promised to them refused to pass on the covenant sign of fellowship with God to their their sons. And here we can see why the story stops for circumcision. 
This generation, before it can do anything in the land, before it can do anything for the Lord, before it can wage war against one single inhabitant of Canaan, must be put right with God. They must bear the mark of the Lord on their flesh, and not just on their flesh, but must live it out from their their hearts. So what do we see the Lord doing here? We see in his mercy, he is reestablishing fellowship with his people. And so verse 7 records this glorious work of God. He says, so it was their children whom he raised up in their place. What is God doing? He's replacing this wicked, rebellious generation with a new generation reestablished in fellowship with God. And so the Lord in his mercy then removes the shame of that wicked generation, the failure of the fathers. And so we hear verse nine. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So that's the first scene. We have this circumcision scene. We can move to the second scene and that's the Passover scene. So here Israel feasts to the Lord. Verse 10, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And as we look here, this was a momentous event for Israel. Israel, well, Israel celebrated with the fruits of the land. We see this in verse 11 and verse 12. And so as a result, manna stopped coming down from heaven. God was now providing for his people from the land. And as we think about verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 12, all sorts of images should be going through our minds. We think about Passover. We think about roasted lamb unleavened bread, bitter herbs. We think about blood smeared on the doorposts and the lintels of the house. And we ask, well, what does this mean for Israel? What is going on here? How are we supposed to understand this Passover celebration? Well, two facts must be noted here. First of all, we must note that this is a meal founded upon sacrifice. The shed blood shields Israel from destruction. So in Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, the first Passover, we hear this. The Lord is speaking. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So what is this meal doing? It is remembering the shed blood of the Passover lamb where the Lord spared his people. It's telling Israel, your relationship with me is founded on blood, sacrifice, But there's a second fact here as well. It is a meal of fellowship. So if you you read your Old Testament, if you're reading through Leviticus and Numbers, you're hearing, even in Exodus, you're hearing about all of these sacrifices and some sacrifices that the sacrificer, the one who is offering, cannot eat of the sacrifice. But here, Israel gets to eat the lamb and gets to eat the lamb in the presence of God. And what does this reveal? This reveals that Israel is at peace with God and gets to enjoy the presence of God. So you see what God's desire is here as Israel eats the Passover. The Lord wants, before Israel does anything in the land, he wants his people to remember that their life is founded upon blood. How did you get here? You got here through blood. Even more, he wants Israel, before they engage a single enemy in the land, he wants his people to enjoy a meal of fellowship in his presence. He wants Israel to to know of the riches of his covenant and to share afresh 
in the friendship of the covenant, God and his people, his people and their God. Come feast with me, the Lord is saying to his people. Come fellowship in my presence. So that's the second scene, the Passover. And we can move to the third scene, this meeting we have between the commander of the Lord's army and Joshua. And so as we think about it, the first two scenes are very earthy scenes. We find flint knives and foreskins, roasted lamb in blood. And here as we move to this third scene, this third scene is otherworldly. Out of nowhere, suddenly, a man appears. And the text alerts us to the suddenness and the surprise of this event. Verse 13, look in your Bibles. The text records, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and, and behold, Joshua was surprised. A man standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Now, this is a mysterious event, and the nature of this man is not explicitly made clear in the text, but we do get some clues, and as we piece together the clues, I think it is best to see this man as an angel, the angel of the Lord. Here is likely the same angel that appeared to Moses at the burning bush. Here is likely the same angel that led Israel through the wilderness. Here is likely the same angel that Yahweh put his name in and, and, and vouchsafed his presence with to lead Israel and be with his people. Now, the text won't let us get bogged down in these details. It interests us as readers, but the text moves us forward. And where the text focuses our attention is on the conversation between Joshua and this commander of the Lord's army. And so the conversation begins with Joshua. He initiates it. He asks, verse 13, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Great question. And the man replies to Joshua and he says, this befuddles us, verse 14, no, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And so Joshua is receiving this information. What does he do? Well, he bends low. He sticks his face in the dust and he worships. Joshua knows he's dealing with the angel of the Lord, the one who bears the very presence of God, the one in whom the name of the Lord is found. And then he asks another question. Verse 14. What does my Lord say to his servant? And again, the man replies. He says, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you, where you are standing is holy. Now consider this conversation very carefully. Here we have two military commanders. We've got Joshua. He's the commander of Israel's armies. And then we have this man who is the commander of the Lord's armies. He's leading God's angelic host, his, his mighty warriors, into battle. And what do these men talk about? Well, we would expect that these two commanders, these two generals, would talk about military sort of things. Like battle plans and troop movements and maybe siege warfare. Jericho's in front of them. But where does the conversation go? Well, it goes to worship. 
Just look at how the conversation ends. We find Joshua face down on the ground, prostrate in worship. It ends with Joshua doing what? It ends with Joshua consecrating himself to the service of the Lord by removing his sandals from his feet. He is in a holy place and he is serving a holy God and so he gives himself in worship to God. And here the issue of fellowship reemerges. The Lord sends his commander To do what? To call Joshua, and I think all of Israel in Joshua, to holy fellowship with the Lord. The Lord desires that Joshua and all the people of Israel would carefully maintain holy fellowship with him while they enter into this conquest. They're on holy ground, they are a holy people, and they must keep holy fellowship with God. So here we see the most important for Israel isn't the battle plans, not the troop movements, it's not something to do with siege warfare. Rather, the most important matter for Israel is holy fellowship with the Lord. We are asked at the end of this scene, will Israel bend low with Joshua and serve the Lord in holy worship or not? Or not. And so there are the three scenes. We find the circumcision scene. We find this Passover scene. And then we find this mysterious scene between Joshua and the commander of the Lord's army. And so we should ask at this point, well, what are we supposed to learn from this chapter? What are we to take away from these three scenes? And I think there are three lessons for us in Joshua chapter 5, and they are as follows. First, fellowship with God is our prize. Fellowship with God is our prize. Second, fellowship with God must be our priority. And third, we must purpose ourselves for fellowship with the Lord. So let's start with this first lesson. Fellowship with God is our prize. We see the Lord at work in Joshua chapter 5. The Lord delays Israel's inheritance of the land. Israel first must be what? Circumcised. Second, they must keep Passover and feast in the presence of God. And third, Joshua, and I think all of Israel in Joshua must give themselves to holy worship to the Lord. And so these events preach a message to both Israel and to us. I think the Lord is preaching a warning at the beginning of this book, and he's saying something like this. Israel should hear this, so should we. Saying this, while the land is good, while this land flows with milk and honey, while it is my delight as your God to give you this land that I've promised to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, hear this, do not be confused. The land nor the many good things in the land, that is not your ultimate prize. Hear this, this is what the Lord is preaching to Israel and to you. The Lord is saying this, I am your prize. I am your inheritance, and so I must be your delight. I think that's what the Lord is doing in Joshua chapter 5. And I think the same logic applies to us. Let me ask you, why is the forgiveness of sins so good? Why do we love doctrines like regeneration, like faith and repentance, like justification, like sanctification. Why do we love them? Why are those so sweet to our mouths? Why do we love our Bibles so much? Why do we love gathering with God's people and listening to God's word? Why do we love all of these things so much? Answer is this, because they lead us into fellowship with God. 
and we know this, fellowship with God is our prize. Fellowship with God is our prize. And so receive the warning that Joshua 5 gives and remember this, fellowship with God, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is your prize. It's your prize. So lesson number two. If fellowship with God is our prize, then fellowship with God must be our priority. It must be our priority. Think with me about the logic of chapter 5. Before the Lord lets Israel do anything in the land, before the Lord lets Israel go do the work of conquest and warfare, the Lord prioritizes what? Fellowship with him. And we would be wise, very wise, to let Joshua chapter 5 and the logic of this chapter sink in. It goes like this. The Lord prioritizes values, treasures, fellowship over work, fellowship over busy activity, fellowship over achievement. I think that's what Joshua chapter 5 is preaching to us. And if that is true, we would be wise, very wise, to prioritize fellowship in our own lives. And so we can just start prioritizing fellowship in our own lives by just going back to the question that I asked at the beginning of this sermon. Are you in fellowship with God? If fellowship with God is our prize and then our priority, we need to be thinking through this question. And we can think through it in two different ways. First, we need to think through this question objectively. And when we think through this question objectively, am I in fellowship with God? We're thinking through it in gospel terms. And here, in gospel terms, you only can give yes and no questions. And so we ask of our souls, have I been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son? Yes or no? Has my heart been circumcised by the spirit of God? Yes or no? Has the blood of the Passover lamb been applied to my soul, the greater Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus himself? Yes or no? And so we start with the objective questions. And then if we're in Jesus, and this is something only Christians can do, we start asking ourselves subjective questions, experiential questions. We ask questions like this. Is the Lord near to me? Am I near the Lord Is the Lord far from me? Is there this distance between myself and God? Am I living far from the Lord? Do I I taste the sweetness of his presence? Do I know, am I tasting right now the comforts of his fellowship? Do, Do I actually see the light of his face? And does that actually give me comfort? Have I been neglecting my God, in fellowship with him? Is there something between me and the Lord keeping me from him in sweet fellowship with him? And so if we want to prioritize fellowship with the Lord, we start by asking ourselves questions. First, objective questions. Have I been moved into fellowship with God? And then we ask ourselves, especially as Christians, as we live our lives Am I actually fellowshipping with God? This brings to us our third lesson. If fellowship is our prize, it then must be our priority. And if it is our priority, we get a command. Purpose yourself for fellowship. 
Purpose yourself for fellowship. I think Joshua chapter 5 exists for this simple purpose. It calls us to fellowship with God. Just think about what God has done for Israel. God saved Israel from Egypt. He covenanted with them at Sinai. He led them through the wilderness. He sustained their lives with manna from heaven. He gave them water from rock. He dried up the Jordan. He brought them into the land. And here in Joshua chapter 5, we see the purpose of the Lord realized again. What does God want for his people? He wants them for himself, and so he purposes them for himself, and he commands them, purpose yourselves for me. And Christian, God has done greater things for you. Believe that, know that. What has God done for you? He sent his son into this world for you. Even more, after after the Son ascended into heaven, after his death and resurrection, he poured out his Spirit upon his people into your very hearts. God has set you free from the law of sin and death, and he has done it for this reason, that he might have you for himself, and that he might come to you and say, purpose yourself for me. Purpose yourself for me. What does God want for you? He wants you to set your heart even more, the whole of your humanity on him. So this is how we can end. This is how we will close. There is a call and a command from Joshua chapter 5, and it is this. Purpose yourself for fellowship with God. Hear this. Make fellowship with God the agenda of your life. And you start that by making fellowship with God the agenda of your day, making fellowship with God the agenda of your week, you start it by saying to yourself, I will fellowship with my God. I think Joshua chapter five exists for this reason, that you might say, as a blood-bought Christian, I will fellowship with my God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for Joshua chapter five. We thank you for the circumcision of Israel. We thank you for this Passover celebration and this meeting that Joshua had with the commander of the Lord's army. And we praise you that you are a God who delights in fellowship, fellowshipping with your people. And we are a people, your people. And you fellowship with us. And we pray, would you stir up our hearts now in light of Joshua chapter five to purpose ourselves for fellowship with you. Do this by your grace and your mercy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.